Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Conversations with Leaders. I'm Sam North. Inspiration is one of the best ways to transform. Conversations with Leaders is a bi-weekly interview with key industry players, CEOs, financial authors, and professional money managers worldwide. Get valuable insights from the people who've seen it all. Are you ready? Here we go. This podcast is for information and education purposes only and should not be taken as investment advice, a personal recommendation or an offer of or solicitation to buy or sell any financial instruments. This material has been prepared without taking into account any particular recipient's investment objectives or financial situation and has not been prepared in accordance with the legal and regulatory requirements to promote independent research. Past performance is not an indication of future results. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the episode of Conversations with Leaders. My name is Simon Peters, market analyst here in Toro, and I'm happy to be your host today. Value investors, including world-renowned investor Warren Buffett, have been critical of Bitcoin. However, today we have Pedro de Neronio, founder of Nostra Capital Hedge Fund, who himself is a highly accomplished deep value investor, who disagrees and sees Bitcoin as a deep value opportunity. Pedro, really excited about today's talk. How are you doing, first and foremost? Simon, nice to meet you, and thanks for having me. I'm doing great, thanks. Excellent. Before we get into so hearing about your perspective on Bitcoin as a value investor, just a, a little bit about yourself and, and how you found a loss to capital. Sure. I mean, um, I'm going to give you the very short take because I'm aware we don't have that much time. Uh, I started my, I always wanted to be an investor, but I thought the best way to learn how to invest was to do M&A for a couple of years, which I did at Merrill Lynch in London, uh, learn how to do the deep fundamentals and value companies. Then I moved to JP Morgan, where I was part of a team who managed the bank's own balance sheet. And that was five and a half years where it was instrumental in learning uh, how to invest in markets and to develop further my philosophy. And finally, in 2007, uh, having loaded up on CDSs, on junk bonds, and kind of like the big short kind of trade that most people probably saw in the movies, um, I decided it was time I had 1030 and I decided to, to, to start my own hedge fund. Um, I had always been a value investor at heart and I thought there was a niche in the market where there was not, no truly value investing hedge funds. So there was a lot of great value investing long only funds, but they all went down 40, 50% when the, 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 the economic recession hit. And I thought there was like, uh, quite a bit of alpha to quite a bit of, um, uh, a, a, a protection that you could put if you put a macro overlay on top of that to protect yourself from those drawdowns that would allow you to compound at a, at a, at a, at a higher value. Excellent, excellent perspective. So you're a value investor. Um, you pick stocks that appear to be trading less than their you know, intrinsic or, or book value. Bitcoin's very different. And what got you interested in Bitcoin and, and why only Bitcoin and not other cryptos like Ethereum or XRP, for example? So... Let me start with my my story about Bitcoin is a bit uh, different than most. So, I mean, I first read about it around 2013, 14 and kind of dismissed it as the Silk Road, the money, the money laundering, buying drugs and so on. Uh, and, you know, in 2017, Bitcoin was in the being talked about everywhere and you, everywhere you look, there's people who were making a lot of money with Bitcoin. So it's kind of difficult to ignore it. But back then I still have had um, 
the impression that it was like uh, illegal, that it was associated with all the, the, the nefarious things that exist in the world. So when I when I read the news that the CME, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, was starting to trade Bitcoin futures and Bitcoin hadn't been up a hundredfold in the previous 12 to 18 months, I said, you know, this is a bubble. I can recognize a bubble. And the liquidity event is the day that the CME starts trading the, um, the futures because that's going to give provide an exit to all these guys who just made 100 times their money. And, you know, the first day that the CME futures started trading, I shorted Bitcoin at 20,000 at the top of the 2017 bubble. So rode the way all the way down to around five six thousand $6,000 a coin. And every time I met someone who was bullish on Bitcoin, I challenged them and just asked them one question. Please tell me, why is Bitcoin not a zero? Because for me, it's a zero. The government is going to make it uh, illegal. It's for money laundering, for criminals and all that. I mean, all the Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett take on Bitcoin, not too dissimilar. And luckily for me, I started meeting people who moved to Europe because there was a um, tax free for Bitcoin in certain jurisdictions and who actually started to explain it to me. And then I read the Bitcoin standard and uh, that's when I fell deeply down the rabbit hole of Bitcoin. You know, I, I, I'm no gold bug, but I appreciate the, 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 the value of gold as a protection for currency debasement. And um, once, once I fell down the rabbit hole, um, was around the same time that I realized why value investing which had been suffering since 2008 because of uh, low interest rates and continued money printing and the rise of passive investing. It was the, at, at the same time that I had this little aha moment and I said, hold on, I thought money printing was going to be a temporary solution, but I now am doing the math and I realized that the Western government have going to continue resort to money printing forever and at an exponential rate. That's when I understand that uh, the, the, the reason why the S&P 500 had been growing since 2009 to date was not necessarily because um, companies were doing great. It was mostly because the dollar was being debased. So when you look at the S&P 500, you see the price of the S&P 500 divided by dollars. It's quoted in dollars. So if the value of the S&P 500 goes up, the S&P 500 goes up. If the value of the dollar goes down, the fraction still goes up. So the, the most important thing for everybody to understand is that the world's balance sheets of government are bust. And the only way out is continued and increasing printing of currency. You can look at uh, the central bank balance sheets in 2008 of the four biggest, US, Japan, China, and uh, Europe were $8 trillion combined. 15 years later, they're $28 trillion. And this is not going to stop. The, the Congressional Budget Office in the U.S. estimates $19 trillion of budget deficits in the U.S. over the next 10 years. Where is that gonna, money going to come from? Simple, simple answer, the printing press. So to come back at your question, uh, when I fell deep down the rabbit hole, I had the same feeling that most people, you know, you're not going to understand Bitcoin without doing the work. You know, there's a lot of people who buy Bitcoin because it's going up and they're going to make fast money. And, you know, that exists in every bubble. But if you don't put 50 to 100 hours 
of your own time understanding Bitcoin, you're missing out because you're not going to have the stomach to understand the bubbles and the troughs that are going to occur. Now, there's thousands of cryptos, as you know, and one common criticism that people give to 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 Bitcoin is like, yeah, I mean, there's only one Bitcoin, but there's 20,000 other cryptos. And that's true. But, you know, you and I could start Facebook tomorrow, Facebook 2.0, copy the, the code of Facebook, and we would go nowhere, even if we had a $10 billion. Why? Because there's already several billion people on Facebook. They have the network effect. So... Yeah. Bitcoin has the advantage of the network effect. Now, I invest almost exclusively on Bitcoin. I have maybe one or two percent of my crypto allocation is to Ethereum and um, to a couple of other small ones. But uh, I view Bitcoin, I, I view the crypto world as we're going to end up with three or four cryptocurrencies. Bitcoin for sure is in the final three or four. All the other ones, including Ethereum, for me, are venture capital investments. They're potentially high reward, but very high degree of failure. Bitcoin, in my opinion, and we can get that later on in the conversation, still is a 50 to 100x in the next um, 10 to 15 years. So if I can get 50 to 100x in the next 10 to 15 years with 70, 80% probability, I'll take that any day of the year, especially compared to the other ones, which are potentially 1,000, 5,000x with 0.01% probability. You know, I'd rather take the certainty. That's a great answer. And there's some very interesting points there, especially about uh, the basement. I think it's a, a key key topic to, to highlight there, I suppose. Um, you know, but in terms let, of, me, sorry, let me just interrupt you and tell you something, Simon. Um, we write a, a, an annual report, a, a report every year about Bitcoin because we invest for Bitcoin in our fund, which, as you can imagine, as a value investor, to first look at Bitcoin, it's equivalent to heresy. You know, like I had to call my Omaha friends uh, when I fell down the rabbit hole, picked up the phone and say, hey guys, I'm having an heretical thought here. I'm um, The more and more I look into Bitcoin, the more it looks like the biggest value investment I've ever found in my life. And on the other side, the guys are like, you know what? We're coming to the same conclusion. And, and, and of course, you don't value Bitcoin on cash flows, on book value. There's no book value. But, you yeah. know, there's all the, the only way to stay ahead of the S&P 500, which should be everybody's benchmark over the last 15 years, was only two things, technology and, uh, and um, network effects. So either crypto or technology, everything else stayed behind. And if you look at the S&P 500 against the creation of money in the world, you just kept your purchasing power steady. You, you didn't get richer compared to the, the creation of money in the world. So our job as investors is to outperform. So I'm going to tell you something. I wish I didn't need to own Bitcoin. I really wish. I wish we could go back to the world pre-2008 where, you know, um, deep fundamental analysis yielded the results that uh, we we used to have. But in a world that is continuously and increasingly manipulated by central banks who have no problems printing dollars out of thin air, dollars, euros, yen, by the trillions, by just pressing control P on their keyboard, you know, I only want to own things that we cannot print. So if you look at our portfolio right now, 
there's a lot of Bitcoin, there's a lot of gold, there's a lot of oil, there's a lot of copper because of the green revolution. There's all stuff that the more you print, mm -hmm. the more the price of this thing should go up because you cannot print uh, oil um, at the touch of a button. So the, the, the key message here is I wish I didn't need to own Bitcoin, but unfortunately, especially as a value investor, I cannot, I cannot not own Bitcoin because I, I, I would have lost my fund quite frankly, if I didn't own Bitcoin, because uh, uh, value equities are just going on, are on a downtrend for over a decade, because they're not owned by ETFs, they're all owned by passive investing for a myriad of reasons that would take quite a bit to explain. So how do you gauge your current investors as a value fund? Well, that's the, the first time we told them that we own Bitcoin. I mean, the first time was before the, the last halving around when we covered our short uh, around late 2018, we built a small position uh, in Bitcoin in the fund. And, you know, it was small enough that we didn't need to advertise. Uh, we just bought Bitcoin. It was kind of an insurance policy. And uh, when the halving came around 2020, and um, we actually ended up the year up 40%, you kind of have to explain um, why you've made so much money. But I also find that it's easier to explain, hey, we got into this new thing. We believe it's the most asymmetric risk reward we've seen in our careers. Uh, and by the way, that's one of the reasons we're up so much. And here's a 60 page report that explains from A to Z why we believe that uh, this is a, a revolution that is just in the first inning. You should mention the halving there. Um, 2020 was a spectacular year or, or the years that followed after the halving was a spectacular year. Um, many, so from my point of view, retail investors that I deal with see that as the event that's the start of the next crypto bull run. I mean, do you share that same view? Or Listen, it, it cannot be denied that the halving has an effect on the price of Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin is generally seen as a commodity. Um, and uh, when you cut in half the, the production of said commodity, the, the, it doubles overnight. The, mar the marginal cost of production of said commodity doubles overnight. And commodities tend to trade on a band around the marginal cost of production. So there is obviously uh, an impact. Now, there is also uh, a, a Pavlovian response, I think, by now that uh, investors see the halving as in the past halvings have performed super well, and they have. But I mean, there, there's reasons to believe that it's not only the halving that creates the, the, the upward price swings, but um, if, if you overlap the Bitcoin uh, price swings with the PMI cycle, the purchasing managers indicator, which is an economic number, which is quite important that comes out of the US, the, the cycles coincide as well. So it's also pretty pro-cyclical in that sense. So it just happened. And I mean, maybe it's not a coincidence because Satoshi Nakamoto started uh, basically the whole process at the bottom of the cycle, right? And mm -hmm. maybe he estimated that cycles, economic cycles in the markets tend to, or in the economy tend to last four years. So by starting on um, when the, the banks were on the verge of collapse, as is inscripted on the first block of Bitcoin, you know, he, st he started the cycle and then it's kind of been like uh, going like quite along the cycle. But I mean, you cannot deny that having has an influence 
both by doubling the marginal cost of production overnight and two, because there's like this uh, four cycles already in which people expect a response. And I think everybody is quite conscious of, um, of what's coming up. So if you ask me for my personal view of what's going to happen to the price of Bitcoin over the next 12 to 18 months, I think it's going to be considerably higher than it is at a much higher probability than it being lower. So, you know, I, I'm the biggest investor in my own fund. So, you know, having a sizable stake to, to, to Bitcoin, I mean, we're like in the high 20% right now, um, tells you how much conviction I have in this. And Bitcoin is one of the, the best performing asset classes this year. I mean, do you think we're already seeing a, um, a pricing in of the halving uh, or any potential impact there? Well, it was also one of the worst performing asset classes last year, right? So. <laughs> It's just uh, it, 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 it's just doing the the navigation around the the, the cost of production. Um, yeah, I think that uh, there's definitely I would say ten to twenty percent of the of of some halving expectations embedded into the price. I think people are still cautious because um, you know we have the debt ceiling negotiation in the U.S. We have a, a, a very macroeconomic heavy 2023 ahead of us. So I think most of the people are leaving quite some powder dry for maybe like third, fourth, fourth quarter of this year to to start playing it. So I would say we're only 20% of the um, of the investor enthusiasm into the having is is being baked in, which is great, you know, like uh, I I'm, I I wouldn't mind uh, if it go lower and it might well go lower towards the end of the year if we have a really difficult year from a macro perspective, but at the same time the way that Bitcoin has reacted to the Silicon Valley Bank um, collapse to to all those just tells me, you know, I have a view, Simon, that Bitcoin is um, both a put option and a call option on the system. So because they're going to continue printing money, Bitcoin will outperform everything. And if the system collapse, Bitcoin is a parallel system which will protect you. It's like basically the digital version of having physical gold, gold at home and being able to transport your wealth around if some mayhem, which I hope doesn't happen in the world, actually happens. So you're actually buying an option on both the best outcome, which is a solution out of this printing a lot of money, which will further debase the currency and, you know, take Bitcoin to the stratosphere. But because the value of the dollar is going down, not necessarily because Bitcoin is going up or the system collapses, because as we know, the system is as fragile as it has ever been. That's why central banks around the world are just pressing control P like never ending and trying to flush everything with money to keep the plumbing in place. Um, but, you know, it's um, I mean, you cannot not have Bitcoin as an insurance policy whoever you are, being it a private person, an institution. I mean, and if you keep dismissing it for the reasons that Charlie Munger, Warren Buffett dismiss it, uh, because, you know, he's been challenged about it several times, Charlie Munger, and he just doesn't give a coherent answer. And, you know, he's probably one of the smartest men alive, one of the investors I respect the most. It just tells me he has not done the work. And I mean, if you look at it, they haven't done the work in technology. I mean, the only technology stock they've ever bought was Apple, which was a huge success for them. But they've kind of missed the boat on technology. You know, I mean, I, I, I think that, um, you know, I, I don't want to say anything negative about someone who's at the more advanced age. But I think our propensity to to learn and to change our belief system decreases as we get older. 
And I think it's uh, quite important to take that into consideration because I think they're doing a huge disfavor to to the value investor community by by putting such a, a bad rep on it. And let's keep one thing in mind, you know, what started all this transition into the debasement of the fiat currency was when Nixon uh, in 1971 broke the, the peg to the gold and Munger and Buffett were huge beneficiaries of the start of the currency debasement because we we went on a bull market of 50 years of unprecedented proportions so it was currency debasement um, I mean the fact that they cannot see currency debasement 2.0 and that there's better ways to capture it than the S&P 500 um, blows my mind away, but um, such is life. Good points. You mentioned uh, Bitcoin as the the call and the, the put. But is there anything that you feel could change that in, in terms of uh, you know what risk and you know, what risk do you see that could change your perception of Bitcoin as uh, an asset to to be invested in? Listen, what keeps me awake at night with Bitcoin is the fact that um, Bitcoin is like a referee. Uh, like a football referee telling the central banks, giving them yellow and red cards, telling them they're doing a terrible job. And uh, I think uh, central bankers and government officials who have understood that uh, that they're going to have to print money ad infinitum and in increasing amounts don't want an escape um, an escape route for people. So definitely there's a lot of negative uh, rhetoric against Bitcoin from um, from politicians and from central bankers. And, 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 and I understand that. But at the same time, the beauty of Bitcoin, of the protocol, once you understand it, is that, you know, let's say the US bans Bitcoin. It's not a zero probability. You know, Bitcoin will continue existing because there's always going to be one country in the world or two or five that say, hey, Bitcoiners have money. Hey, guys, move to my country. Because here you can buy a house, we're going to make give you a special tax deal, and you can own and spend your Bitcoin here. So there's this game theory embedded into Bitcoin, which I doubt that you'll ever have the 200 or so countries in the world all agree in unison, let's ban Bitcoin. And one thing, Simon, that people don't understand, because most of the people listening to this podcast are probably in the West or in Westernized countries where the, 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 the rate of currency debasement is the slowest. But, you know, if you're in Argentina, if you're in Turkey, if you're in Venezuela, you know, and, and, and if you're in, um, in Zimbabwe, in any of those countries, you understand there of out of 200 countries in the world, there's probably a hundred where the population are financially repressed. And so Bitcoin will survive without the US, without Europe, without, I mean, obviously it would take a hit in the price, but uh, there's only two ways in which you can kill Bitcoin. One is you need to switch, switch off the internet globally. That's not going to happen. And the second one is you need to kill the idea in people's minds. That's not going to happen either. So the, the genie is out of the bottle. And I think if the U.S., I mean, the, the banning Bitcoin is the equivalent of banning the, the World Wide Web in the early 90s because it uh, was an affront to the traditional commerce and so on. Imagine what would have happened to the U.S. economy or to any Western economy if they would have banned the, the World Wide Web. So, you know, 
I think that uh, there's a possibility we're going to see negative uh, reactions. But, you know, at the same time, when they banned alcohol in the U.S., what happened to the price of alcohol? It went up, yeah. you know, the bitcoins that will be in cold st storage whenever someone important bans it will just become more valuable because there will be no ways in and out of the system. You'll have the creation, the official creation of two parallel systems. So it's, it's, you know, if I was a policymaker, I would fully embrace Bitcoin, fully embrace and fully try to make it be fully, it's fully transparent. You know, one of the reasons why I was against Bitcoin is because I thought it was a, a great way to, to, to launder money until I spoke with a friend of mine who used to be a CIA agent and I told him, how can you guys allow this to continue? You know, like this is just money launderers sending money to each other without any checks and balances. And he says, you're kidding me, Pedro? This is a dream come true for us because we can follow every, it's an open ledger. We can follow every address that exists. When we get a terrorist and we get him to, to speak and he says, these are my five addresses and I sent it to these 10 addresses who belong to this and this terrorist, they can actually do a puzzle of everything. Do you know how hard it is to follow bags of $100 bills? It's almost impossible. Bitcoin, we can, can follow it from my living room. It's a dream come true from um, from um, drug enforcement agencies for all the, the, the agencies. It's incredible. That's some really interesting views there. Uh, but anything you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Any final thoughts? No. Uh, so all I can tell you is what I tell my kids, you know. I tell them that if they have 100 to invest in, put five in Bitcoin at least, because if I'm wrong in 10 years, it's a negligible amount of your, of your total wealth. But if I'm right, that a hundred will convert into three, four, 500 over 10, 15 years. And it's the most asymmetric risk reward that I've seen in my lifetime of investing professionally for over 20 years. You know, you're wrong, you lose one, you're right, you can potentially make 50 or 100, you know? And, and there's no time decay. Time decay means, you know, when you buy an option, which seems to be quite on vogue these days, people buy the right to buy something for two days. When you buy Bitcoin, is you're buying Bitcoin for eternity. So you can wait 10 years, you can wait 15 years, and there's no price. It's like an insurance policy that you buy once and that you don't need to renew and pay the premium once a year. I mean, it's uh, it's incredible. That's why I'm so behind it. Well, look, Pedro, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm sure our listeners have found it incredibly useful. Thank you for taking your time today. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to Conversations with Leaders. Thank you, Simon. It was a great pleasure. As you can see, I love talking about Bitcoin. You know, like uh, my fires just juice up. <laughs> thank you for... You have been listening to Digest and Invest by eToro. For more information, use eToro.com.